Hello, everyone, and Hello. welcome to Challenge Talk, part of the Geocache Talk Network. We broadcast live on the first Thursday of each month. Feel free to jump over to YouTube or Facebook to watch the broadcast live and join the wonderful and active cache chat room, Cash Room. Oh, that's a new one. <laughs> <laughs> or, or listen to the entire show on your favorite podcast player. In this episode, we have our first ever special guest on the show to chat about challenges, the fizzy grid namesake himself, Fizzy Magic. We also have prizes to give away each show to our listeners. Between each show, be sure to email your challenge cash finds to challengetalkpodcast at gmail.com and you could be a winner. And later in the show, we also play our special game exclusively for our live audience, The Wheel of Challenges. <laughs> so listen live, get your email app ready, and follow instructions when the time comes so you can have a chance at winning the grand prize, a one-year membership to Project GC. We are your hosts, Emily, Renee, and Jeff from Cash the Line. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. All right, so we always start off with a quick... A uh, little icebreaker, community question. We like to get challenge-related uh, questions from you, community, and we watch for popular or common topics of discussion out there. So this month, we're going to start off with this question. What makes a challenge appeal to more people? Emily? Well, my first instinct is to say hard but doable. Um, if it's not hard, it's not a challenge. It, mm -hmm. it, I, you know, I'll run a script sometimes for something, a project GC script, and I've met the challenge and I didn't even try, you know, so there's that. So finding something new that I can try to accomplish, put the effort in, but also know that I can do this with a little bit of work, with a little bit of planning, I can do something and then I feel accomplished. Mm. And yeah, I say a little. I mean, it could be a lot. <laughs> it doesn't have to be just a little bit of work. <laughs> yeah, and, and I kind of want to latch onto that more people part of the question because uh, I know like people who take up challenge caches, including myself, we love the challenge. We like higher difficulty, you know, exploring and doing things we don't necessarily do. But uh, I think there's a big draw to simple, uh, quick caches. Like they don't all have to be high difficulty. They can be low and uh, I, I, it's weird because I think the, the longer you have a caching career and the bigger your stats are, the, uh, obviously the more challenge caches you could just go and sign because you already right. qualify. Right. So, but yeah, everyone has that, to start somewhere. And if they're all yeah. super hard, people are not going to try. They're just going to be turned off from challenge caches. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think it's good to have a, a wide range and don't be ashamed of putting out those easy challenges because <laughs> there's always going to be new people who sure. uh, even and finding a thousand caches is going to be hard. Right, right. And it has to be doable in your area per guidelines. So what's yeah. what's going on in your neck of the woods? Yeah. And you know, we only have two people here to uh, to answer this question, though. Maybe we need a, a we third opinion. We need someone else to answer this question. We have a special guest tonight. And it is none other than the person who uh, is the inspiration, as you could say, for the fizzy grid, the difficulty terrain grid. And that is Fizzy Magic himself. Hello. Hey, everybody. That's good. That was a, that awesome. was a nice, that's a nice warm-up question. I had a good answer for that. And that what I look for in challenges that I haven't done yet is style. 
that is, um, it's got to be a challenge that is not just find N caches in XY County or something like that. It's got to be something that has a little bit of memorability to it. Because what happens is I read about challenges, and there are so many challenges out there. It's the ones that stick in your brain that are the ones that you want to go out and finish. And uh, so... Uh, that's the kind of challenges that I enjoy the most or ones. And when I look back on it, I don't care particularly about what other people think of my statistics, but I really enjoy looking back on the things that I've done and feeling like I did something with a bit of panache. A little mm-hmm. bit I love that. That's a really yeah. good point. Yeah. It's like you can uh, remember a specific cache and, and be like, I probably wouldn't have gone for that cache if it weren't for this challenge. Mm-hmm. And it's something that's, you know, really unique. Like, yeah. That's yeah. right. Um, yeah, so we also uh, update our uh, monthly stats, our challenge statistics. And uh, because challenges are getting a little more popular these days than over time, um, we look to Project GC, and they keep a public list of some of their gen- generic statistics. So first of all, we ha- actually, you know what? I want to ask you, Fizzy Magic, how yes. many active challenge caches do you think there are worldwide? I'm guessing probably something on the order of uh, 40 or 50,000. Hmm. Not too bad. Emily, what do you think? Oh, goodness. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I could cheat and look at the notes. But, um, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I don't don't disagree. (laughs) Well, as of about mid-afternoon, that was about five hours ago, there were... 29,998 active challenge caches worldwide with the challenge in the title. Okay. Just doing an attribute search, there are about 400 less. So there's about 25,578. And you know what? I'm kind of curious to see if it has crossed over to 30,000 for the challenge. Oh, no, it went up to one. It's 29,999 with challenge in the title. (laughs) Okay, oh, someone tonight needs to hide a challenge <laughs> during 30, the show. 30,000, come on. Um, so Project GC uh, lists their their specific details for all of the scripts. So this month, there are 5,427 active scripts, and these are the individual things that handle those checkers. So uh, one script could potentially manage 10, 50, 100 different challenge uh, ideas, concepts, depending on how it's written. Um, there are 34,126 unique challenges, so that's different parameter sets, and 41,088 active tags, so that would be unique checkers by GC code. So Project GC, so that includes archive caches and historic stuff, but they've got 41,088 unique individual challenge cache listings uh, listed. So that And that's up for, by about... Active tags is up just over 700 since last month. And active challenge caches uh, by attribute has gone up by 578. That number is going to be large because they're, they were rolling out those attributes to existing right. challenge caches. Now, coming up to our news item, as of October 13th, all existing challenge caches should have the attribute added automatically. Uh, and from now on, it's up to the cache owner to uh, add that attribute, that challenge cache attribute themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ideally, the reviewer will catch it before it's published. 
Right. So that's that's our way to identify challenge caches now, that attribute. So we also have a follow-up question from last month. Uh, well, not so much a question, a a feedback from Jokir, Jokiris, J-O-K-E-E-R-U-S, about the challenge caching strategies. And so Kimberly says, I create a bookmark list broken down into categories such as challenge, date-related or location-based, icon-related, uh, in the name, like titles with specific words, dog, guardrail, etc., or titles that start A to Z, uh, a list for DT-related challenges or cache owner or reviewer-related owner names, um, and a list for challenges that have been met and so forth. Some challenges obviously fit more than one list. So that's another way that people will strategize uh, qualifying and finding those challenge caches. Mm -hmm. um, I tend to put them all into one list, but uh, that's another good idea, separating them into topical stuff. Um, a little easier yeah, to Yeah, because as we find a cache and think, oh, that'll work for that one, mm -hmm. she knows right where to go in her list. Good. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, all right. Well, fizzy magic tonight. It's about you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I hope it's not about me, but it's about challenge. That's, that's good. About yeah. your name, about fizzy. <laughs> uh, fizzy magic is, is I, I chose that name because I am a physicist. Uh, uh, I have I, done particle atomic nuclear physics and I work at the Lawrence Livermore lab or I did rather. Well, actually I still do. Um, I retired, uh, in April of 2018 and, uh, um, and I've been, that's not true, sorry, 2019 of April. And then I've been uh, uh, coming back as a consultant recently. So I'm still working. Um, and magic because I'm a magician. I do magic. Cool. Oh. So, so the fizzy was a mis intentionally misspelled physic physicist and then magic is the magic. So that's where my so, name came from. So it has nothing to do with carbonated beverages or anything like that? No, <laughs> nothing. That's right. <laughs> So uh, when did you start geocaching? So I started geocaching in March of 2002 when my wife gave me a, uh, a uh, uh, it was actually a Magellan um, GPS. It was an old one that only had two, two digits of precision in the, in, the, yeah. uh, in the minutes, in the fractional minutes. And uh, a friend of mine who was a swimmer was a little bit into it, and we swam a lot together. So I uh, went with him, and we started doing it, and I, I caught the bug quite quickly. And it was probably another couple of months before I got myself a, a uh, GPS that would actually find the caches as opposed to get me within about 100 feet. So um, it was I really liked it from the beginning. So I started in March of 2002 and uh, – <clears throat> so for me, a, a lot of the uh, challenges that involve older caches are easy because I have so many yeah. from back then. Mm. Back then, uh, I had a – every day we'd go, and if there was any new cache within about 50 miles, everybody was excited, and we'd go <laughs> run and find the cache because there just weren't very many caches Absolutely. Mm. That was fewer cachers back then. Mm. Yes, that's right. That's right. I actually know someone who quit because they thought geocaching was dead, <laughs> but it just was the early days, and that's just yes. how it was. That's yeah. right. That's right. You didn't have power trails back then, <laughs> at least not 161 meters. <laughs> no, no. A power trail was invented probably – the first power trail I saw that I saw was probably about 2004, 2005, yeah. Mm. 
That's about the time frame when they started. And the first challenges were uh, late 2002, early 2003. And mm. frequently they were not uh, mystery caches frequently because they were at the uh, posted coordinates. They were mm. listed as traditionals. Yeah. Did you actually have any challenges that, um, or do you remember any challenges where uh, maybe the cache owner didn't tell, tell you where the cache was and you had to complete the challenge? and contact uh, them to get that information? Yes, yes absolutely. The, uh, the, the mo I, I haven't done it yet, but the most famous of those in my area is the Northern California Delorme Challenge, which is where you find all the... Yeah, I'm sure you're familiar with the alarm challenges. And that was hidden by a, a guy named uh, Brian Little Devil. You've probably seen his <laughs> name because he's been around forever. He hit that one, and uh, it's still... The, the nominal coordinates are still about a mile from my house, right in the middle of the lab where I work that you can't get into without a badge. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's a great example. And, and you actually, the way it worked at the beginning is you would email him with your qualifying uh, fines and then he would uh, send you the coordinates of the cache in an email. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. that one, as far as I know, is grandfathered and still how it works. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, because that, I, I that's, believe that's how the Oregon Delorum is. You're supposed to email and get the coordinates because yeah. it's yeah. classic, old. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that um, that has been able to survive all these years. Like, uh, yeah, you could make changes to it and uh, and convert it into the way that challenge caches work now. But yeah, I mean, it, but I guess if he's responsive and still answering, then oh, he is. He's very responsive. He was a reviewer for a long time, but uh, he doesn't do that anymore. But he's still he's still very responsive and very engaged. Good. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we you also moved into well. Did you do a lot of um, tracking your own statistics back then? Because there yes. wasn't statistics on the website at that point. No, I still track my own statistics. Um, mm -hmm. I have a whole bunch of ways of getting the the data into my uh, database. Uh, yeah, and so. This was actually at the very beginning of that. So at the beginning, there was sort of the only thing you could look at was your number of counts, your number of finds on geocaching.com. And that was kind of the only way that you could slice and dice it. And statistics were not a thing. The first challenges that came out were not statistics-based challenges. They were challenges based on other things. And uh, in I think it was in early 2003, ge uh, geocaching.com, in instituted uh, uh, premium memberships. So that was like, and so their first benefit of having premium membership was that you could get, uh, you could do pocket queries and you could mm -hmm. download uh, GPX files, which are these H, uh, you know, these XML files with geocaches in them. And at the time then they also instituted this my finds query where you could get a query of all, of all the finds you had and that would come down in a GPX file which was, and so at the time I thought, well, this is fun. And I had written some stuff in, um, in Perl, which is the world's worst programming language almost. But anyway, it's, it's read only. It looks like uh, uh, monkeys hit a typewriter when you look at the code. But anyway, I'd written some stuff in Perl that would turn the pocket queries into a uh, ebook format that could be you could use on your Palm Pilots because you know there were mm. cell phones were uh, cell phones with uh, internet connectivity were not a thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when you went out to the field, a lot of people took printed pages with them, and I didn't want to do that. So what I would do is I would download a pocket query and I would convert it to this ebook format, um, and I'd 
upload it to my Palm Pilot so I'd have the description of all the caches uh, available to me on the Palm Pilot. Mm -hmm. And so then when the uh, MyFinds query came out, I thought, well, that's great. We can look at the MyFinds query and we can do what physicists do, which is do statistics on it. And so mm -hmm. I uh, wrote this program that would read your MyFinds pocket query and it would show you a bunch of different things like how many miles you traveled and all this other stuff. Uh, and one of the things I came up with this idea for a grid of you know the the number of different terrains and and difficulties you had found, and so it printed it out. It was a text printout. It wasn't anything fancy at all, and uh, that was Kalia saw that and he thought, wow, that would make a fun challenge. Make find them all, which nobody, as far as I know, had done by that mm -hmm. time, and so he made this challenge cast that has since become relatively legendary. So the challenge, the challenge idea wasn't mine, but the idea of do, sorting the statistics by difficulty and terrain, which seems obvious in retrospect, that was that was my main contribution to that. <laughs> awesome. Mm. Yeah. So you wrote um, a number of ways for people to like. How popular were your scripts? Like um, when you uh, analyzed your statistics, when you uh, put those together, like how Fair many enough. people used that? You know, I don't really, I didn't really keep track. A lot of people used them. Uh, they were fairly popular. I had this GPX to HTML script that would turn uh, your GPX file into a bunch of linked pages that contained all the information about the cache. Uh, that one was pretty popular. Lil Devil, who we talked about just recently, he also wrote a, a script that did very, very similar things, uh, also in Perl. And that was before I had discovered uh, things. And then, and then, Sort of at that time, uh, there were a lot of us sort of working on ideas for uh, uh, how to make geocaching better. And so one of the things that I wrote into GPX to HTML was you could have a separate file that had the coordinates of all the puzzles that you had solved. And then it would change the coordinates of the GPX. Uh, it would spit out a new GPX file with those corrected coordinates, and it would also put that stuff into the HTML. And so. That was the uh, that was the genesis of uh, the idea of saving a database with your corrected coordinates in it. I can't claim that was a great idea because it's pretty blaringly obvious. But uh, <laughs> someone had to do it first. That's right. That was right. <laughs> and so at, at the time, I wrote a lot of I wrote a lot of stuff, and uh, the geocaching community was uh, a little bit more tight knit than it is now. I'm not going to say that it's bad now. It's just bigger, and uh, we would share a lot of stuff out there. And so I have another program that I'm a lot of people use called PhysiCalc, which yes. uh, was originally called GeoCalc. And I wrote this with uh, this ancient, uh, this by now ancient way of doing things. It's only Windows. And I am terrible. I am a truly horrible GUI writer. Um, I love writing algorithms. I love doing the math part. That's, that's my happy space. But I actually mm -hmm. took the time to try and write sort of a GUI that you could enter things in and it would show, show you different, it would convert coordinates and things like that. And so uh, I wrote that and then I got a, uh, a threat of a lawsuit from some other company that had a product called GeoCalc. So I renamed it PhysiCalc. And, mm -hmm. and that one hasn't changed in, in several years because it uses a pretty outdated uh, uh, framework for doing the GUI part. <laughs> We've got sure. PhysiCalc uh, fans <laughs> in the chat room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. I'm glad people still use it. Uh, I learned a ton writing that program about uh, geodesy, which is you know how you make measurements on the Earth, and about uh, I've taught myself a lot about how uh, how to think about 
directions on the earth and things like that. So that's really mm -hmm. fun. Uh, yeah, PhysiCalc uses uh, for the uh, um, for the algorithm that I use for calculating distances and, and uh, azimuths, it uses an algorithm called the Vincenti method. And the Vincenti method is, uh, and, uh, it's based on a series expansion of the ellipsoidal distance. And it's good to about uh, two centimeters per hundred miles or so. So I figured that's good enough. So, mm. um, <clears throat> because of course the surface of the earth isn't actually flat like that. So <laughs> that's another thing I did that, uh, that got a lot of attention back in the day. Yeah, and so if anybody wants to try that, um, where would they go to find that, PhysiCalc? Uh, PhysiCalc is, you can go to physimagic.net and the, the link is there. And PhysiCalc, I, I apologize in advance. It's, it's a .exe file for Windows. I don't have, uh, if I were more ambitious, I would have written a version of it in Python, which is my language of choice right now. Uh, would do, and do a new GUI and made everything work well. Actually, I've write, I've written so much in Python of uh, uh, puzzle type solving stuff and geodesy type stuff. Like, so if you have three points in the distances to a common point, it'll find that point. It'll do all those kinds of things. Um, but the problem with Python, of course, is it's an interpreted language. It's not compiled, so you don't get an executable file. And the other problem with it is that. Uh, um, so you'd have to have a Python interpreter, although you can pack Some people do package the interpreter in with them, but it's uh, it's just harder to redistribute. It's harder for everybody to be able to use. Uh, but if anybody's interested in seeing that, of course, they can always contact me. I'm always willing to share stuff. Thanks. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot. You have a lot of knowledge of uh, doing all of that again because you're in physics. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, that's yeah, right. So you've got a lot of history there. So the math is the math is very interesting. That's right. Yeah. And then I spent a while. PhysiCalc now has the last thing I added to PhysiCalc rather is the uh, ability to change between datums, and that turns out to be an interesting uh, an interesting mathematical problem. But uh, <laughs> it, it can't will imagine the mathematics behind some of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's that's all my. I really enjoy doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. So Kealia was the uh, cash owner who placed the very famous, um, well-rounded cashier, the Fizzy Challenge in California. Right. And that was in April of 2007. The reason why this particular challenge is uh, famous, not only because it's the first Fizzy Challenge, but at this point, you were allowed to have date restrictions. Mm -hmm. um, so you had to complete a Fizzy but all your fines had to be published before this cache. So no new caches would qualify. And you had to find them. Uh, previous fines do count. Yeah, so you don't have to start at zero. So it's just basically all of the, you have to you only finish a fizzy from caches that were published before that challenge cache. You can't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's some interesting considerations for that. So I would have thought that if I charted a challenge, the thing I would think of doing first is not allowing past fines to count, but only, you know, you'd have to start, start the challenge. Crash. Everybody's good. But um, he was concerned about uh, people making new caches and then just mislabeling the difficulty and terrain. And so he didn't want that to happen. So he wanted to lock in uh, the mm -hmm. difficulty terrains of existing caches so that it would actually mean that you found caches that were rated that for no reason other than that that was the best rating. Mm -hmm. uh, 
since then, you know, it's there are there are a lot of uh, caches that have been hidden that are sort of intended to be grid fillers, and right. that was not true at all. So I knew he was going to hide this, and so a week before he hid he released this um, challenge, I went out and hit a uh, a four point five slash five cache, uh, which is a uh, uh, right now it's a well I hope it's there actually it's a uh, it's a bottle floating about uh, 15 feet down underneath the surface of a nearby lake. And uh, there, so there was a puzzle to solve to get the coordinates. And then you had to go to the lake and there's a cliff or almost a cliff right above it. So you kind of have to go out in a kayak or a boat or something and then dive down into the lake to find it. And the lake visibility is usually about five feet. So um, it's one of those things you can't see it from the surface. You have to dive yeah. down and put you in the right place. So <laughs> that one, I actually continue maintaining that today, even though it's a pain because fishermen snag the line and various things mm. happen. Um, <laughs> but I maintain it today because it's it's one of the few uh, fizzy qualifiers with that particular terrain and difficulty. And I hit it with that terrain difficulty specifically because I knew there would be no more opportunities for new uh for new caches that would qualify for some of these more difficult things to find for the fizzy challenge. So of course that makes me feel responsible for keeping it alive forever, which is, you know, <laughs> whatever. No small task. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Now, it so is you possible. knew this was coming out. Yes. Did you know it was named for you? No, I had no idea. No, <laughs> I, we, we had a, uh, uh, we had a bulletin board for the, Bay Area geocachers at the mm -hmm. time, and we were all sort of talking about the idea of how to build this challenge, uh, and Calia came up with the idea, and so uh, because I knew he was he had this in the works, that's why I hit that cache, and there are a couple of the nearby caches that also were hidden uh, by people, in, specifically to uh, get certain fairly uh, difficult to find uh, difficulties and terrains. Mm. Yes. I felt constrained to make it an actual 4.5 slash 5 uh, cache. Uh, I don't know how constrained I would be today, but certainly we were mm. back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, it is possible to find uh, qualifying caches for that California fizzy. Um, all you need to do now with the advanced search is uh, under the place date, just say under, yeah, under before, change the year to 2007 and month to April and 6th, was it 6th? 4-7, 7th. April 7th, I think it was. Um, 6th. 6th. On or before April 6th, that's fine. Uh, so change the place date and then hit search and it should be a worldwide search which you can then map and drop that in here. So for those listening, I'm just pulling up on the screen share an image of the mapped results of qualifying caches for the California Fizzy. And is that right? That seems like a lot. Some Okay, it is going to be a lot of results. There are some <laughs> difficulty and terrains that, uh, that are extremely rare. And I'm trying to remember which ones they might be, but it's a it's a fun one to do because yeah, you might have thousands of caches around you, but that's reduced down to probably hundreds tops within a doable region. 
Right. So over the years, multiple times, we have asked Kalia to relax that date uh, restriction because mm-hmm. it seemed like the, a lot of people, you know, you could move it up a couple of years and it wouldn't make much difference. But he has really chosen not to do that. And uh, I respect his choice there. Yeah. And, and I think that's what kind of makes that challenge unique is that, yeah, we can't have date restrictions now, but that's a grandfathered one. And being the first challenge, it's something that most people can certainly shoot for. And I think, you know, as long as there's at least one qualifier for every DT, then it's still doable. Right. You know, it's kind of, kind of like the Jasmer challenge. The, uh, they get harder and harder as those initial first few months. All and the that makes us hungrier for them. <laughs> it does. I yeah, agree. I respect that too, not changing that date. It's a classic. Yeah. One thing we like to joke about is that uh, it's not hard enough to just qualify for the challenge. The hardest part is going to be the last person to qualify for the challenge. Because <laughs> nobody knows when they're going to be the last person, right? Like if you qualify and you find it and you sign it, and then the next day the last qualifying cache is archived, you're the last person who can qualify for the challenge. <laughs> yeah, Rich points out that the toughest one only has 30 left. So, that's So what is the toughest one? The toughest combo. Yeah, Rich, is that my is that my 4.55 or is it a lot of terrain 4.5s tend to be difficult as well cuz people don't tend to hide 4.5 terrains. Yeah. Perfect. And I'm thinking there's probably uh, somebody who's compiled a list of all the qualifying caches on the DT grid so we can see uh, how many are left. For them. Yeah, uh, Rich Reagan. Also interesting. He says that um, last he checked, it's possible to complete it solely within California. Yeah. Yes. I that uh, possible. Yeah, we have we have a, a wide variety of caches in California. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is cool. And that's the key thing to remember: like, no new caches will come out to fill up some of those holes. No, what you, <laughs> so what you search is what you get. And yeah, yeah if you've got going to get smaller, if you're in a region that has a wide range of difficulties and terrains, then chances are you probably could qualify just in your region. I know when I first started, I saw the, um, we have an, a, a similar challenge here, um, from tequila and he, so he called it the tequila 81 and it was in July of 2000, 2009, one of those years and uh, same concept date restriction uh, all caches up to the published date but you had to find you, had, you could only qualify with caches found after the cache was published hmm. so pretty oh. much everybody started on the same the same level um, and I right. remember that was my first year caching and I saw that and that's like okay I've got to qualify I've got to try to qualify for this I can find it and uh, at that point I was doing a lot well, a little more traveling around uh, Canada and the US so I the, the first thing that I searched for on vacation were qualifying caches for that, for that challenge. Cause some of those DTs were super rare. And uh, so, yeah, it definitely gives you targets to search for. <laughs> right. And the initial, the initial version of the Washington fizzy challenge required all the caches to be found in, in Washington state. Oh, mm. just in the state. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that one's still there or not. I, I it's hopeless. I'll never get that. But, uh, <laughs> that's how it was. Now, the other thing that we noticed on this <coughs> listing uh, at the top, it says the cache is temporarily unavailable. The cache is in the very heart of the local CZU lightning complex fire. And I don't know how and when the area will be open, uh, know when the area will be open to check on this cache or even access the area for that matter. Do you know what the current status is of the area around this cache? So uh, it's, it's in Big Basin, 
State Park, which is down near Santa Cruz. And Big Basin has been closed for at least a year. Oh, the, wow. The State Park has. Uh, it's about a mile and a half hike to get to the cache. The cache itself is located um, in some rocks. So it's probably 40, 50 feet from the nearest tree. So we are hopeful that the cache did not actually burn, mm -hmm. but it was right in the middle of that uh, fire and the state park has been closed. I don't know whether you're allowed to get into the state park, uh, you know, via trails or whether it's really closed, closed. Uh, Rich actually would know that. He knows all kinds of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so was this um, this year's fire that was of concern or last year's yeah, as well? It was this year's fire. It was the one in August. It was the CZU. It was, so we had a lightning storm that started uh, three okay. rather large fires in the area. And this was one of them. Yeah, because so, it looks like there's still quite a number of uh, disabled caches in that region. Yeah, they really ought to all be disabled because the park is closed. Uh, the, I'm very, um, I'm optimistic that after about a year or so, if we get through the winter and the mudslides don't go nuts, uh, that we'll be able to start going back next, maybe a year from now, next fall, that it will reopen. Yeah. I'm sure they will be really paranoid about uh, fires next summer there as well. Yeah. yeah. So it's too bad. Well, and Rich has also answered us that difficulty five, terrain three and a half, it has only 30 left. In the world. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's and, and so that that's the most difficult combination. That's not what I would have expected. That's interesting. <laughs> difficulty five, terrain three and a half. And that's for the California hmm. fizzy. So there you go. There's like the, I think that's the oldest active. Uh, official challenge, uh, challenge cash. So if you're looking for something to qualify for, keep that one in mind. <laughs> We're extremely lucky in my area because it was only, I think it was within the next year that the Jasmine challenge was hidden as well. And it's, it's only a, you know, it's about as a crow flies, maybe 15 miles from the fizzy challenge. So, oh, yeah. um, mm. we're lucky to have both of those classic challenges in the Bay area. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Bring a lot of people out to that. <laughs> Geocaching destination. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, so now you are involved with writing scripts for Project GC. So you've kind of adopted yes. the whole uh, challenge checker mentality and all that. Yeah. So many challenges I don't find particularly interesting. I'm trying to come up with ideas for uh, new and innovative challenges that can be done that take a little bit more uh, programming to, to do. I'm working on one now, which we talked about about a year or two ago in the forums. That is, uh, the idea is that uh, uh, the convex hull of your finds needs to cover more than 10% of the surface of the earth. And the convex hull is the largest, uh, the largest convex thing, assume you're, connecting points with lines. If you imagine a set of lines that all your finds would fall within that set of lines, that's what's known as a convex hole. And so the question is, how do you, so the idea would be that, you know, what fraction of the earth's surface have you kind of covered with your finds? And, uh, uh, you know, 10% turns out to be a lot uh, <laughs> because uh, you, you, you will not, people generally will not tend to have done four really, uh, 
far uh, separated caches. You know, you mm -hmm. won't have one at you won't have one at 35 north and another at 35 south, and then going the other way around the Earth. Uh, because of the way the convex hull works, of course, you can't go more than 180 degrees in longitude because then it becomes shorter to go the other way. So 50% is the most you could even in principle have. So so basically you're talking about uh, connecting the outside, like the, if you were to put your all of your finds on a map, draw right. a polygon around all of your finds, and then that area of the Earth coverage. That's right. And I think... Right. I mean, it's so it's incredibly geeky, and I understand that. That's me. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think it has that that indefinable style points that I uh, that I talked about at the mm. beginning. And you know, it, I, I'm interested in other kinds of. Uh, I haven't thought of any really clever challenges recently. One of the ones that I enjoyed doing the very most was inspired by a cache I saw in uh, southern New Mexico, which is where you had to have uh, found caches. Where you climbed a hundred thousand feet to, uh, mm. to reach your caches, and you go only one cache per hike. Then, and you got to the starting point on the trail was the beginning, and where the cache was at the end, either up or down. Uh, you could you could store that height differential as a, mm. as a, uh, and then you'd sum all those up, and you would if you had to reach a hundred thousand yeah. feet. See, and I think that's a good example of a challenge that. Um, to my knowledge, that wouldn't be publishable now post moratorium, right? Because it's it's fairly subjective. Because somebody might say, "Well, I started way down at the sea level, down at the bottom of the mountain." Somebody else may have started halfway up. So, how do you know? How do you calculate or know for a fact what the actual altitude change is? Right. So, if um, people published uh, trailheads more consistently, mm -hmm. then you would yeah. really be able to do yeah, this yeah. using the the Google Maps API or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, which, uh, which is, which is, I think that's one of the things that we lost in the uh, conversion to the new challenges was the ability to do challenges like that that are still quantifiable but that you can't program easily. So yeah, mm -hmm. yeah I think the closest that we get to that is just uh, total altitude. Uh, so the coordinates of the cache, the altitude above sea level, is right. uh, is retrievable, and I believe that is usable in post moratorium challenges. Yeah. That's right. So that was actually one of my favorite challenges is the one uh, feet in the sand, head in the cloud, something like that, where you have to go from someplace between a minus zero to minus 500 all the way up to uh, 14,000 feet in mm. uh, in 500 foot increments. And yep. I, I took a trip to Colorado to finish that off on Pike's Peak, as a matter of fact. So yeah, nice. that was a lot of fun. That That's the kind of challenge that appeals to me because it feels mm -hmm. like it has some style associated with it. You know, I've done geocaches from 250 feet below sea level all the way up to 14,000 feet. Yeah. That feels, that feels stylish to me. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, it seems a little more satisfying on, on screen as well. Cause you can get a grid of those bands and you can see how many qualify in each of them. And it's really easy to, that's right. uh, to qualify and, that's uh, right. And search for qualifiers. <laughs> <clears throat> now you said that there was a uh, a special fizzy, uh, an ultimate fizzy that was published recently. Yes, so that's Alamogo. So Alamogo started caching about three months after I did. He was someplace in June or May or June of maybe it was two months, May or June of two thousand and two. And so Lee is a is a short guy with an unending supply of energy and. Uh, <laughs> we cached together. He lived in Alamo, which is very close to me at the time. He now lives in Nevada. 
and uh, we would do a lot of caching together. I still remember the the, tr the hike we did up in the Mount Diablo State Park. We left the car and uh, we went down and found a bunch of caches. It was quite a quite a, a hike, a lot of elevation, and then it was the sun was starting to go down, and it was you know, five thirty or six or something, and. Uh, Lee said, you know, there's one more cache that's only three-eighths of a mile away. And I looked at my primitive at the time uh, topo map on my GPS. And I said, yeah, it's three-eighths of a mile away, but this thing shows that it's down a 1,000 feet. And he said, there's no way. That's, that, that's not possible. And so sure enough, this cache was down a 1,000 feet. And we, we ended up having to bushwhack back up. It yeah. got dark. <laughs> we had... Amongst five of us, we had one flashlight, and we kind of stumbled back <laughs> to our car at the top of Mount Diablo um, at well after dark to find a ranger sitting there waiting <laughs> for us because the park was closed. And, and uh, <laughs> he threatened to find us some huge amount of money, and yeah. Lee managed to talk him out of it, so he gets credit for that. <laughs> that's, that's a good that's a that's a good Alamogo story. So anyway, Alamogo and I uh, he he hit a challenge called the ultimate fizzy challenge which at the time was the most difficult he had to have found fizzy challenges in five states and uh yes he is the sheldon cooper of geocaching <laughs> um so oh i am i guess yeah that's right so anyway uh so lee hid this ultimate uh fizzy challenge in my front yard and it has probably cost me about 150 dollars in uh in uh, sprinkler heads because, <laughs> because <laughs> you think I'm kidding, but I'm not. <laughs> but what's what's really wonderful about it is every once in a while somebody will come up and ring the doorbell and introduce themselves as as having yeah. you know, and it's really a fun thing for me. So I don't mind at all. I'm, the Frank Show heads are worth it. <laughs> now you can show that page if you want. Yeah. So yeah, what was the uh, the qualification for that? Uh, you need to have done five fizzy challenges in five separate states. I believe that's the only thing. Yeah. Uh, for all of you obsessed with ultimate challenge caches, this one is for you with a special prize at the end. All you need to do to qualify is to have completed and logged online five fizzy challenges, well-rounded cacher, area 81, fizzy, etc., in at least five states, provinces, countries prior to your find on this log. And the cache is at the posted coordinates. That's right. So, straightforward. So now now everybody knows where my house is. They can come and rob me. <laughs> <in the night. laughs> yeah, That's and fine. I have dogs. Yes. Found in January. So it, yeah. it's not as... Well, it is also a 5-5. Five, five. You know, it's funny because Fizzy Challenges, some of the, these older ones are like 5 difficulty, 5 terrain. But we can't rate anything higher than that. So they get harder and harder, but it, they're still just 5, five just difficulty. Just 5. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely right. But the fizzy challenge for me was a 5-5. Five, five, so I, uh, I, it, it took me, I don't think I, I don't know when I logged it. I, I think I logged it in uh, 2012 or something. It took quite a while before I, I finished my first one. I'm not as, uh, I'm not a prolific uh, finder at all. I'm only yeah. slightly over, I've been doing it almost 20 years and I'm only over 10,000 finds. So, mm -hmm. um, but that's uh, the challenges have, have actually been pretty interesting for me to do. I really appreciate both kinds of challenges, the challenge types that, uh, that require you to go out, set out, and do something, 
but I also enjoy challenges that uh, required me to do, uh, you know, some some uh, database programming on my my own finds, which I, by the way, I would keep a parallel database of my finds from uh, the one that geocaching keeps for us because I started early and I just have never been able to stop. Yeah. And I actually know my cache to cache distance because I record the location at which I locate, found the cache, even for multis and stuff like that. So I really know my cache to cache distance and uh, don't have any things like, you know, there's where's the, there's a cache someplace that's like at the bottom of the, in the middle of the ocean that yes, has yeah. true mm -hmm. coordinates, of, but you know, those things don't count. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I still, I still do that for myself. Yeah. Um, and I, but I, I really enjoyed the, the mining my data to see what I would have to do. Uh, mm -hmm. Recent challenges that I've done have been a birthday challenge, finding a cache on its birthday for one through 12 years. That's good. Mm -hmm. Um, I've enjoyed doing, obviously, the, just finished the Jasmine Challenge last year. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and you said you, where did you finish that at? Uh, Potter's Pond that's in, right. in Utah, which is a spectacular location. And that's a really great cache. And I can't recommend it highly enough. It's, mm -hmm. uh, it's wonderful. I have still not done the uh, cache that uh, Rich was talking about down in Southern California, which is the oldest cache in California. Uh, I think it's called Phil's Cache, and I haven't done that one yet. So <laughs> I'm, I went down to San Diego this year, but it just didn't feel right to go off and mm -hmm. yeah. do that one. So I'll do you have a map of the uh, the oldest caches in each of the states? You're trying to knock them off the list? No, I haven't been doing that, actually. Mm. Uh, um, no, I'm, my caching career has been... Uh, has been highlighted by a serendipity. So about <laughs> a month after I started caching, I took a trip to uh, Georgia for work. And I went and I found this cache, the nearest cache to my hotel in Roswell, Georgia, turned out to be one of the ape caches. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so I completely by accident found an ape cache, like within a month of starting geocaching, which I thought was is pretty hilarious if you think about yes. it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, and I've, you know, a fair number of things like that have happened where I just, I find these caches and they turn out to be, uh, people later, 15 years later, think they're fantastic. So that's yeah. a lot of fun. That is yeah. great. As yeah. you cache longer, you need to figure out ways to keep it interesting. And for me, mm -hmm. as I, I was telling them earlier, urban uh, traditionals don't do it for me. Unless mm. It has a lot of favorite points, and it's a gadget cache, something like that. It's fantastic. But for the most part, mostly I do puzzles and... Uh, um, yeah. where it goes and stuff now. Um, yeah, I think and I really enjoy original puzzles and original uh, gadget caches. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we tend to find there's a, a slight difference in cache styles when you go from out in nature into urban centers. Because uh, I remember reading somewhere um, how you usually see how people start putting traditionals in some city area, and over time, they slowly change into puzzles and premium member only and gadget caches and stuff because you just can't you can't just hide a container somewhere in the city and have it last for stuff for that long so yeah like you, you've got to really have kind of a, a puzzly mentality if you want to start finding caches in the city that's absolutely true and i think that challenge caches that challenge you to get out into nature and do some of the more interesting hikes and yeah. uh and adventures to find them uh to, in order to qualify for the challenge is actually a good use of an urban cache. I don't mind that the challenge cache is not terribly difficult to find or it's a boring container as long as the process of getting there is interesting. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, yeah. And 
you know, it's very rare for someone to have stayed involved in geocaching as long as I have. I have several friends who have, but usually the, the lifetime is about three to five years. And then you've kind of done all your caches that are near you. The new ones all feel the same. And people, mm. uh, you have to, I believe that uh, this is actually a criticism I have geocaching.com is I don't feel that they've really worked hard to try and uh, do customer retention for long periods of time. Mm. They don't, they don't really, uh, in my opinion, they don't value the older customers. But then again, I am an older customer. So I would say that wouldn't I, but, <laughs> uh, but, uh, Challenges are a really good way to keep yourself interested and to, yeah. to keep yourself doing stuff. And I found them a lot of fun for that purpose. Absolutely. Yeah. It gives us trips to take and ideas to plan and people to collaborate with. You're right. Mm -hmm. yeah. As long as some of those uh, creative uh, pre-moratorium challenges are still around, then uh, we still have uh, some of those challenges for us nerdy type who like to do all of the bookkeeping <laughs> and tracking right. details that aren't in statistics like text-based names and owners and all that stuff. Um, I, was I, I found really some of those to be really creative, like just themes. Yeah. You know? yeah uh, actually, Alan Mogul had a time when he was putting out uh, what I call combination challenges where you had to fit a set of things into a set of constraints. So you had to have mm -hmm. seven different kinds of caches that had been found in five different states and, you know, mm -hmm. all these things. Uh, the ones I don't miss from that day are the uh, find 23 caches that have the word mud flap in the title. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was kind of a, a way around uh, people creating a list and you saying you have to find all of these caches first before finding this challenge cache because you can't have a, a list of specific caches to find in case any That's of them right. go away. You can't qualify. But if you That's say, because right. we, we've got uh, loads of cemetery caches around here, so we've got challenges for um, caches with rest and in in the title. And there's one, I, th I think there was one for 30 caches with rest and in, and a couple more where the last one is at least 100 with rest and in. So you've got to find 100 caches, not just cemetery caches, but rest and in series caches. And it allows people to place, uh, place those same named series caches of their own anywhere so you can't say it has to be placed by a specific person so it's not a specific series but um it it uh, it, it gave you a theme it was just kind of frustrating because sometimes there were cemeteries with different names and they don't qualify for the other one <laughs> right so gary in the comments talks about the obnoxious challenge from alamogo yeah that one was uh that was a really uh, that was a fun programming exercise for me, actually. So, <laughs> but uh, for somebody who's not a complete raving nerd, it probably wouldn't have been as much fun. So I appreciate that. <laughs> what What did you have to do for that? I thought he was uh, describing no, no. the challenge, but this is no, a challenge it, name, obnoxious <laughs> challenge. <laughs> yes, it is. I'll uh, I'll try and find it. Just a second. I had. Uh, I think I found it. So. Yeah. yeah, the owner of that one has got to know that whatever the qualifier is, is it, it, nobody's going to enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that one is uh, GC4461G. You might want to bring that up. It's, uh... Yeah, so the, the requirements are that you had to find seven caches that each start with a different letter used in the word obnoxious. So you had to do all seven letters in obnoxious, seven different cache types, 
seven different years being hidden, seven days of the week you had to find them by seven different cash owners and in seven different counties. <laughs> that is that's, a that's quite a matrix. <laughs> that's it is, and I, but you know, I've sat on the couch many nights and done searching through my finds, trying to figure this out. I don't shy away from that. So those <laughs> those old ones like that. What, what do we call bookie bookkeeping, bookkeeping challenges? I'll and do it. If they still exist. I'll do it. So yeah. now here's the other strategy for some of these old ones. If they're if Project GC doesn't show um, a checker with their add-on, somebody else might have created one and used the output in their log. So if you scroll back past, you might be able to find a checker that already exists. Um, and oh, uh, no, no, there might not be a checker for this one. I, I would guess that there probably isn't. But it's it could be done in principle, but it's a it's mm -hmm. a difficult it's actually a difficult uh, challenge. It's a constraints problem, and you have to. Yeah. Uh, it would take a fair amount of uh, Project GC CPU time to do it, so they may not be enthusiastic about that. Mm. Well, we've got other. So with uh, with one of my challenges, I actually wrote uh, SQL scripts to determine qualifiers. So it might be possible to write scripts elsewhere for people to use if they have the tools. <laughs> yes, yes. That's what I did. I wrote a script for that one to, to mm -hmm, find the yeah. uh, to find the, the answer. Yeah. So the now I don't know you can answer a question for me. Are lonely cash challenges still allowed under the new cash guidelines? Mm. If they're not so. if they're not, that's one of the biggest losses for the uh, the guy the new cash guidelines because lonely uh, lonely cash challenges have really changed my geocaching uh, a lot because I really love mm -hmm. going out and find finding caches that nobody has found for a while. Yeah. Right. Well, I and think I, I I don't believe it is because uh, if I recall, it, uh, Project GC doesn't have access to be able to tell uh, when the previous log to your find was published. G Project so, GC will actually do that for you now, but it's oh, not that uh, it's not that accurate. Rich yeah. is saying no because it depends on other cashers' logs. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I I actually somebody was mentioning that in the forum and uh, and I did no it was on Facebook somebody mentioned that and uh, <laughs> I just took the GSAC and wrote a couple of uh, SQL SQL queries that would um, inform that like tell tell you what your uh, lonely. Uh, the, the the lonely period for those caches that you have founds on, um, but again the problem exists that you have to have all the prior logs to all of your finds. That's so right. the the first step is you've got to download your my finds pocket query, and then you've got to run a script to determine for for this particular one it was one year lonely. So you've got to run a script that'll give you uh, just the list of caches that um, there's like a, a one year gap between the logs that you do have. And then you've got to run those through the API to get all of the logs up to your find and then run the script again. And then it can analyze the actual gap between your log and the past previous find or publish. That's right. Um, so it is possible to do, but it's tedious. <laughs> I, I, I completely believe that. And of course, a, a trick that I use in my own script is that if, uh, if somebody else finds it the same day I did, and it's mm -hmm. been a lonely cache. The probability that they were with me when I found it yeah. is very high, and so it still counts. But yeah. 
And so yeah. I actually break those out and look at them by hand to make sure that there's nobody that found it a few hours before I did. <laughs> yeah. 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 Generally, I think that's why most of the wording is just, uh, it has to be found um, prior to, to the date that you were there. Yeah, because the chance, like unless it's a really popular cache, the, ch the chances of it being lonely or slim and the chances of somebody also finding it on the same day and it being a qualifier, you know, it's, it's not worth even worrying about that. That's right. But lonely caches have a certain style to them as well that mm. I uh, that appeals to my yeah. little thing I talked about at the beginning, that yeah. sense of style. And the challenges for doing them actually really changed how I do caching. So now when I go someplace uh, on a road trip, I'm looking for lonely caches because those mm. are a lot of those are generally a lot of fun to find. Yeah. It's like yeah. there's a reason why it's lonely. <laughs> it's exactly. either really hard to get to a lot of really times, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Although in the Bay Area, there are a lot of lonely puzzles because a puzzle comes out, everybody solves it, yeah. and everybody who can solves it solves it within the first couple of weeks, and then uh, it, it takes it sort of has a long tail. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. in those our are, area. Yeah, and those excuse me, those are the ones that tend to uh, after a long gap of not being found, suddenly a large number of people all find it together because <laughs> somebody either helps somebody or. Somebody leads a group and, uh, hey, I've already found this one, but yeah, we can go and find it. We'll show you where it's at, yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Well, it is almost 9 o'clock, and we've got to get to our fun game. All right. <laughs> fun, go for fun, it, guys. <laughs> we are going to move on to the Wheel of Challenges, and we really need to get some kind of a sting for that. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so this is... Uh, a little game we play each month where one viewer uh, is selected to face off against the wheel of challenges. And when I say viewer, I mean people who are tuning in live to the chat, either on YouTube or Facebook or Periscope. Um, and you'll have a chance to win the grand prize, which is a one-year membership to Project GC. So to enter, you need to send an email with a subject containing spin me, S-P-I-N-M-E, to uh, with your geocaching username because that needs to be checked on Project GC and the answer to the following question. The first verified user gets the wheel. Your profile will be checked live on Project GC so if you have privacy concerns you might not want to play. <laughs> <laughs> and if you qualify you win. So here is your question. Make sure you've got your email program open and I'll give you a couple of seconds to <laughs> put a recipient in there. But uh, so hopefully this isn't too difficult. <laughs> Your question is, what two geocache properties does a fizzy grid display? This shouldn't be a hard trivia question. Shouldn't be. <laughs> I think the, the answer has been given quite a few times already tonight. <laughs> and we will be watching for emails coming in live. Um, and the wheel is getting ready. Let's bring it up. Whew. Need to get some sound effects too. <laughs> <laughs> it is ready to spin. So this wheel is composed of quite a few numbers of uh, challenges ranging from one difficulty to five. And it is a mystery which one is which. Let's see. We've got some people coming in. We have a first. Oh, they're all coming in. Oh, they're coming in quick. 
Okay, let's. We will go with Terra Terra Viators. I I know Terraviators. Cor- corrected me last time. Terraviators. 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 <laughs> like aviators, <laughs> but Terra. Yeah, he's been yeah. around roughly forever. <laughs> <laughs> roughly. <laughs> they have correctly said it is the DT or difficulty in terrain grid. So that is the username we will try. Terra. Terra Aviators. Terra Aviators. <laughs> I don't know why I have such a difficulty saying it. Okay, well, let's put you up against the wheel. You're going to hit that spin button. <laughs> Love the sound. We do what we can. GC9119D. Three one dates of tree climbs. And what wow. is that? That is... A new one that was just published in October in Ontario from Carney Gruel. It is a five difficulty <laughs> challenge where you must have found one cache that has a tree climbing attribute on each of the 31 days of the month, one to 31. They don't have to be in the same month, just all each of those dates, one to 31, has to have a tree climb cache find on it. It has a Project GC checker, it is a five difficulty. Oh, I know I don't qualify. I haven't climbed a tree for a cache in years. <laughs> there aren't <laughs> enough of them. <laughs> okay, so we'll put in. I know I can spell it right. You know, I think they have a reasonable oh. chance of doing this because I think uh, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> Does he qualify? Checking does not qualify. You have to climb more trees there. Do have quite a few tree climbs, but missing a few still. Um, Anywhere in the world. So the results, so one, two, three. Yeah, so so it doesn't show the dates that you still need, but you've got quite a few. Just need four, five, eight, 10, 15th, 17th. Yeah, just a few scattered days. See, the nice thing about this challenge is you could complete it within a month mm-hmm. if it's got 31 days and you don't need 31. <laughs> so I like seeing, that's another thing I like. When I run a checker and I see that I'm somewhat close, then it lights a fire in me. I can do this. I've already come yeah. this far. I, I can do it. Yeah. That's a really good point. That that happens to everybody, I think. If it's if you're like just a few away, you just got to do them, and that OCD yeah. kicks in. <laughs> it does, <laughs> especially if it's something that you love to do, like tree climbs. <laughs> <laughs> so sadly, unfortunately, Terry Viators did not qualify for this month. <sighs> or Terra Vaders, Terra Visitors. <laughs> Tierra Violators, <laughs> whatever you want to say. <laughs> I like wow. that last one. I, I think I'm going to stick with that. I think <laughs> That's something <laughs> else. <laughs> well, there is still another chance because we also do a uh, monthly challengers little game where every month uh, we give a congratulatory shout out to listeners who email us proof of qualifying and logging a challenge cash during the prior month. Anyone's, anyone who sends an email to challenge talk podcast at gmail.com including the cash code gc code that you find and if you, a photo if you like for that month will be entered for a prize giveaway 
And this month's prize, it's a nice big announcement. Unfortunately, I can't show it yet, but somebody else can. We Ooh. have GeoCoins. GeoCoin for the podcast. Yeah. Very and nice coin. Number and show the back. Because some people may recognize this coin. It is a Geocache Talk Network GeoCoin. So all of the podcasts in Geocache Talk Network have their own special GeoCoin. And Challenge Talk now has our own. Yeah. I've got a whole nice new collection of them. It's great. <laughs> Stay tuned That's for how to get some for yourself. That's Ooh. approximately awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll have to tune into Geocache Talk to hear about our plans for getting those coins out. <laughs> So uh, so that's the prize for this month. So we're going to highlight a few uh, interesting challenges that people have sent in just over the past month. First off, we have one coming in from Butterfly Girl. It is GC8Y6KW, the I Love the Night Life Challenge. And it is right here. This, this, this cache... Um, you just have to find 100 nice. caches with the recommended at night attribute. So for the most part, I mean, that would encourage you to get night caches, generally. I mm -hmm. think there are some that might have recommended at night just because you could do it in daylight, but it's more fun at night. But I think the intent, the spirit of this cache is night caching. So I fun. thought that was kind of a neat one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that is obviously one that can easily be done post moratorium rules uh we have another one in from gary of the gbs who has sent us one called it was it's <laughs> it's the name is interesting it's a red ba red baron challenge it's a romeo bravo b-a-b-b-b -B -B, red bearing red baron challenge not the 20. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, tongue twister T Romeo Bravo Red Baron be a better benchmark buddy not the 20 challenge think of the song 20 I, I have no idea what the song is 10 20 30 40 50 or more the bloody Red Baron was rolling out the score this challenge requires not 10 not 20 not 30 but 365 days the requirements for this are uh, kind of intense uh, you have to find uh, 11 of all of the non-traditional cache types, you have to find uh, a minimum number of each type to fill up the 365-day grid. <laughs> so you have to find a cache on every day of the 365 days using non-traditional caches, but you can have up to 40 traditional caches. But you need <sighs> a lot of other types. I ran my checker. I don't qualify for this. <laughs> <laughs> but I, it doesn't, I need to figure out why I didn't look that far. Yeah. Because basically you need to have one mega event, one webcam, five or more where I go, uh, five or more CEDO events, cash in, trash out, 10 or more virtuals, 15 or more earth caches, 20 or more letterbox, 25 or more multis, 30 or more events, and 35 or more unknown caches and up and up to 40 traditionals. So if you've already filled your grid once, you might qualify, but it depends on how many traditionals you found. Mm -hmm. And uh, I ran it just earlier this afternoon, and I was like, yes, qualify. <laughs> Not going to find it, but qualified. <laughs> so well done, There's a nice Gary. little twist on the, on the one-year grid. 
Um, oh, and uh, is this the right Gary who says, and don't oh, forget yeah. to mention how to find the final. That is the Gary. So the uh, the final, let's see. I saw it somewhere around here, the information for it. Yeah, the cache is not placed at a specific page coordinates, at the page coordinates. Um, to find the location, look for all nearby benchmarks to find the location of benchmark number Q428 slash MK2132. So they've also he's also put the um, the final the cache actually in the additional waypoints as a final location. But the fun for this one is trying to find the benchmark. And yeah. I suppose at that point, that's where the cache is hidden. If you look at it on the map, nice. it is it's a bonus benchmark. <laughs> Posted coordinates are right in the middle of the. <laughs> yeah, don't go there. Yeah, don't go play in traffic. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a oh, nice. Oh, oh, Gary says the container is in the benchmark. Ah. I just found one last month for the Geo Challenge of the month that had a lid. I wonder if that's kind of the the same thought. Yeah, because some of them, the the lid of the benchmark, sometimes they are loose. Yeah, um, this this lid, it was a hinge and it opened up yeah. and it was a protecting a rod in the ground. Yeah. And the yeah, rod was the benchmark. Yeah, we have one or two of that like that in town just here. Yeah. I saw that at the at a corner of a sidewalk. There's like a little cover. You, you never mm -hmm. think about lifting one of the lids, but yeah, if you lift it up out of curiosity and look inside, there's a little pole with a, a benchmark inside. Yeah. That makes sense. That's a good theme. I like that. Oh, we have the wrong banner up. What is the GC code for this? Whoops. Yes, there we go. GC seven three KFN Romeo Bravo B A B B B Red Baron Challenge, not the twenty. <laughs> <laughs> Long challenge names. So, next up we have one from A Wall G Z G C eight Z Z F five Z Z F five twenty years of geocaching challenge. Now, if you've completed your Jasmer, you don't qualify for this necessarily. <laughs> for this challenge, you have to find at oh, least I see. one cache. At least one cache in 2001. At least two caches hidden in 2002. Three in 2003. All the way up to 20 caches hidden in 2020. I th I would think the last maybe two-thirds of that is pretty easy. But that I, first third could be pretty hard. Could be. I like yeah. it. I'm curious. The challenge almost, for me would be the 2020, actually. Right? <laughs> Did you get out this year? Yeah. Well, no, it has to be hidden this year. So it's not yeah. just get out caching. It oh, yeah. So did other people get out? Yeah. Right. How active have people been hiding new caches yeah. this year? Yeah. yeah. So that's a nice little twist. I've seen um, uh, the um, Baker's Dozen challenges that are similar to that one where it's one, two, three, you're up to 13, or um, uh, Fibonacci sequence. <laughs> Mm -hmm. One, two, mm -hmm. three, mm -hmm. five, eight, thirteen, etc. But uh, this is a nice kind of a simple twist on the Jasmine, adding a little more challenge. Yeah. Uh, and next up, we have one from Curious KDB, who sent in GC4H WFK, the Fizzy Challenge All Terrain of Challenge Caches. Now, see this one. When was it published? It was published in 2013. Uh, so it's pre-moratorium. And this was, you know, I, I kind of am interested about this. Okay, so the uh, you could publish challenges that are like mini 
fizzy, mini fizzy challenges where you have to have a line or a column of a specific difficulty or terrain. So there are a series of mini fizzy challenges or fizzy mini challenges uh, for terrains one through five. This challenge requires you to have found each of those nine caches. Nine caches plus the challenge placed for finding those. Yes. So obviously All you wouldn't be able to log... All those caches plus nine challenges to find this challenge. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to log those, uh, those mini challenges unless you qualified. Mm -hmm. So you basically have to have a fizzy grid, but you have to complete the fizzy grid and find those caches, log them found. Yeah. So that I know, see, I, the reason why I question that is because it's requiring fines on existing caches. And I didn't think that was even possible pre-moratorium. Hmm. And I'm curious and uh, curious KDBs in the chat, can you answer, are those, what's kind of the um, radius of those challenge caches? Like how like far, how far apart spread are they? out, yeah. I think... GP challenges. <clears throat> there might be a bookmark list. So unfortunately, these uh, um, this challenge cannot be completed because at least one of those mini challenges is archived. Oh. Uh, so I went I went to one of the pages just to see. My my belief was that to for each one of those you have to have filled out that entire row that column of the physics grid. So if you find all nine, then you will have finished your physics grid. Mm -hmm. But uh, and but, looking. Yeah, looking at Curious KDB's uh, find log, it looks like they haven't found the one that was archived, but they were allowed to log it as found anyway. Well, that's that's good. That has to be. So, and it says they're all within 20 to 30 miles of each other. Yeah, and that, that kind of makes sense if it's a series. It's yeah. a good way encur to encourage people uh, or give people a way to work on a fizzy grid and still get um, fines or qualifications along the along way. Along the way. Mm -hmm. Actually, there's two of them that are archived. Hmm. Terrain three five and terrain one five. Yeah, interesting. So I thought that was a, a little a, a discussion point. <laughs> yes. Um, I love hearing what other people are finding. It's very interesting what's out there. Yeah, how people think outside the box and mm -hmm. whatnot. So curious, KDB also sent in GC eighteen AWE. New Hampshire is high, low, north, south, east, and west challenge so this is a four and a half difficulty challenge where you've got to find a cache basically the highest cache the lowest cache north most north south east and west point of new hampshire or closest to those points i like it i love so, med base challenges <laughs> the highest point of new hampshire there's at least according to this listing there's three caches at at or near the summit of mount washington which is the highest point so you got to find the closest cache to the summit of Mount Washington to qualify for the high point. And I guess that's, that is actually a good qualifier because as those get archived, then it just, the qualifier changes. Yeah, yeah. It changes yeah. with time. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's not a list of these specific three caches. It's just the closest cache to the summit. Um, and the low point is within 0.5 miles of the ocean and less than hundred feet of elevation makes sense <laughs> i guess because the low point of new hampshire would be ocean or, or sea level so with it within half a mile of the ocean and that elevation um north south east and west so yeah i thought that was kind of neat gets you traveling around new hampshire <laughs> 
So of those, not just those five, but a whole bunch, we, we can't highlight every single challenge cash. <laughs> so of everybody who has sent in uh, their challenge qualifiers for October, we have randomly chosen a winner. And this month's winner of the very first Challenge Talk Geocoin is AWOL. AWOL. With their 20 years of geocaching. Well done. <laughs> awesome. Congratulations. We will get in touch with you for how to get that to you as soon as possible. And uh, remember, for next month, if you are listening live or listening in your favorite podcast player, to enter for next month, send your email in before next month's show to, let me get that back up, challengetalkpodcast at gmail.com. Again, with the uh, GC code and pictures, if you like. That's always a fun thing. So, one other thing I always like to highlight is uh, the one challenge that one of the one of the last challenges that was published uh, before some significant rule changes, and that is my uh, Iron Man Iron Man Bingo challenge. That is a bingo grid of uh, of, of of challenges that are all about streaking. And where did the image come on? Oh, <laughs> the image isn't showing because of some changes to the way that HQ is showing embedded images. So there is the mm -hmm. image, the bingo grid of streaks. So each square is a streak of a specific type of uh, cash property, whether it's a rating or an attribute <clears throat> or statuses. Like there's one for having 10 days of found a lonely cash of seven days or more. Um, a rating one where you've got to find five days in a row of five, five, five difficulty, five terrain caches. And the center one to round it all out is 100 days consecutive geocaching. It is a, it's a tough one to finish. And it was published before rules that, um, that disallowed streaks like that and date restrictions. And so I still need to call. I'm going to have to edit this so that the images work again. Go, oh. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but that is GC3D5EB, the Iron Man Bingo Challenge. And I like to highlight if anybody else is has been working on it or qualified for it. And there has there is one new person, the Bushman has said he's working on it. Stay tuned. <laughs> but I did get an email, did get an email from Gary of the GBs, who's a self proclaimed challenge addict. Uh, yeah. <laughs> who has even completed his own challenges fizzy grid. So fizzy grid of mm. challenge caches. Project GC does show that stat, stat, which is nice. But he has qualified for the challenge with the top row and the upward diagonal. So he's got row one and B5 to O1. So he's qualified for the challenge. So awesome. awesome. Congratulations. The prize that I'm offering for people is for those who complete the entire grid and it is a geocoin that will soon be minted <laughs> and i know that i've mentioned that for years since the cash <laughs> was published. it will happen <laughs> uh, so keep working at it gary of the gbs if you complete that whole grid then you'll be getting one of those geocoins uh, so yeah i like to highlight that because yeah, it's just another little personal encouragement for people to get out 
get out caching, even if it's right. doing streaks of consecutive days. <laughs> That's right. So, and I would like to say from Sharon in our chat tonight, be like Sharon, who says the show inspires me to find at least one challenge cache every month. I love that. Absolutely. Thank you, Sharon. And yeah. uh, keep on sending in your accomplishments. I'd love to hear about them. Yeah, we love getting in those emails. It's always great to see one pop in uh, with a qualifier. It's great to see. So any other closing thoughts? Anything that uh, you might want to add to this topic about the fizzy? I should have a can of pop here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really great to put a face to um, the word fizzy. I probably, so many people don't even know you're a person. <laughs> that it was named for you. <laughs> yeah, they may have thought that you named yourself after the fizzy grid. <laughs> yes, that's right. So uh, one time uh, somebody came to the ultimate fizzy challenge uh, and they came and rang on the doorbell and I was in the middle of a Bible study in my house with all these sort of 20-something people. And they all they all said, wow, you're famous. And I said, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm famous in an extremely limited space. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm a very but small fish are. in an even smaller pond. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, by the way, uh, I encourage people to uh, get on the forums and join in my campaign to try and get geocaching to explain what they have done to images. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> PNG images have completely stopped working. They come across as JPEGs and uh, everything else has, has changed and they won't explain why. And so I have a yeah. campaign to try and get them to just tell us what's going on because <laughs> it's so strange. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's a difficult topic because it's kind of technical and a lot of people might be whoosh right over their heads. Right. But, um, but yeah, it affects everybody really across the yeah. board. That's and, right. Uh, if people understand what's actually happened, then it's a relatively easy fix, but that it happened means that everybody's got to do a bunch of work to fix things. Bunch of so, puzzles broke. That's the big yeah. problem. Yeah. yeah. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Well, thank you, Fizzy Magic, for joining us tonight. It was, wonderful it was to my have you. pleasure. Yeah. It was great to chat. Um, and uh, thank you, everybody who has been tuning in and chatting live. Uh, we have been watching the chat room and interacting as much as possible. <laughs> uh, the next show is going to be the first Thursday of December, which is December 3rd. Uh, same time, same place. Watch social media, tune into Geocache Talk Network, subscribe, like us on Facebook, and you'll get all the news. And remember to send in those emails so that you can win a Geocoin each month. And on that note, I don't think there's anything else. And so, thanks for watching and listening. We will see you next month. Thanks, everyone. Good night. Good night. Good night.